Well, Easter is approaching us, and leading up to Easter, we've been walking through Jesus' farewell talk with his disciples before he was to go to the cross, trying to prepare them for what life was going to be afterwards. And as we think about that, that life afterwards, that's where we're still living today, a time in which Jesus is no longer walking the earth among us, and yet he's not left us alone. The Bible teaches that he has sent us the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin to think about who God is, and that, that's where we need to look, is the Scripture where God has revealed himself to us, then we understand God has revealed himself to us in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. One of the greatest mistakes I think we often make as believers is trying to do ministry. And I don't mean vocational ministry like the pastor. I just mean our ministry of, of sharing with other people, teaching Sunday school, serving as deacon, hospitality, showing grace and kindness, whatever ministry it may be. I think we, one of the greatest mistakes we make is trying to do it in our own power when God has left us the enabling Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit at work. Jesus taught us about this as he talked to his disciples before he was to go to the cross. And in John chapter 16, we're going to pick up today in the second part of verse 4. So I want to ask you, would you join me in standing as we read this together? Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks today for the gift and the guide of the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand what you have given us. May we no longer depend on ourselves, our intellect, our ability, our training, or our giftedness. But Lord, help us to work hand in hand through the Holy Spirit as he works around us, in us, and through us. Father, may you receive all the glory for what takes place in our lives and in this church. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to understand something. God is at work. God is, we don't always understand what God is doing or why God is doing it, but God is at 
work. And I, I don't tell you that because of something that I feel. I don't tell you that because of something I've observed. I'm telling you that when I read the Bible, God has shown us all throughout history that even when we can't understand what he's doing, he is at work. And the Bible tells us that God is going to continue to be at work even after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so God works oftentimes beyond our understanding in order to empower us to fulfill his mission for our lives. So I want you to notice in the second part of verse 4 and and you know, the, the verse numbers are not inspired, and they don't always represent the cleanest break in thought. And so it's really the second part of verse 4 that Jesus begins a whole new topic here. In the second part, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So, so Jesus is giving some explanation to the disciples about why he is just now telling them about the Holy Spirit and what's about to come and everything that's going to happen. And we see this not just in this verse, but in other passages throughout the Bible, is that there are different eras in which God is working in different ways. We had the Old Testament where God sent prophets and God spoke directly through the prophets to reveal things to the people. And then we see Jesus who came in the flesh and dwelt among us. And then now, after he has ascended into heaven, he has sent the Holy Spirit. We live during, during that time. You know, there's not only different eras in which God is working in different ways, but there's different seasons in our lives. There's different seasons in which we have different needs. There's different seasons in which we're at a different place of understanding and obedience. So there's reasons that God does not always reveal everything to us up front. I can remember uh, I took my first New Testament Greek class in uh, 1994. And I was sitting in class, and a professor was kind of going through and trying to explain. And if you know anything about Greek, uh, it's uh, it's absolutely nothing like English. It's a little complicated. And we was going through and explaining all these principles of how all this works. And and we would, we would, we're trying, we were trying to understand it. And we'd ask a question. And, uh, Every time we would ask a question, he would say, well, I'm going to lie to you a little bit and tell you that, yeah, that's right. Because just for now, let's pretend that's the way it is. And so like I said, well, why, why can't you just explain it to us? And he said, he said, it's too much. I can't explain it all to you right now. So he says, so for now, yeah, let's just pretend that it's as simple as that. And I'll tell you more next year. Well, he was, he was right. It's a rather complex language. And we couldn't absorb it all at once. And you know, in the same way, God wants to do so much in your life that if he just revealed it to, all, to you all at once, it'd actually be overwhelming. You couldn't understand it and, and couldn't, couldn't obey it. And so, so God works at different times in different ways. And in our lives, we experience different times. There's times when we're just, just new in the faith. And there's times that we're really growing in the faith. And hopefully there'll be times in your life when you're really mature in the faith. That God begins to convict you about things that you didn't even know were sin when you were younger in the faith. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, he says I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So they're moving into a different era where he will no longer be physically working among them. And that's going to bring all kinds of change. But he encourages them by letting them know that they're not going to be alone. They're going to have 
the Holy Spirit. Well, you and I, as we celebrate Easter, uh, most of us have for decades now celebrated Easter. It's no surprise to us that Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead three days later. But for the disciples, they're hearing it for the first time. Jesus had earlier in the Gospels, it tells us he had begun to, to tell them. But even as he began to tell them and explain it, they, they just weren't quite grasping. They just didn't, just didn't get it. And they were really struggling to comprehend. And that's why in, in chapter 14, where Jesus began this discussion with them, you remember they, they began to ask questions. One of them said, well, we don't even know where you're going. How can we, how can we follow you? They begin to ask these questions because they just didn't quite understand. And so when Jesus says in verse uh, 5 through 6, he says, But now I am going to him who sent me. That's the Father. And none of you asked me, where are you going? Well, they had asked that earlier. He says, but, but now, now they're not asking because he's told them all these things. They're just kind of overwhelmed. And he says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. When we think about who Jesus is, what he's calling us to do, the Bible's taught us over and over again, we cannot trust our emotions. They are not an accurate source of truth. The disciples were hearing this. Jesus was telling them, most exciting news the world has ever heard, but they didn't understand it, so therefore their heart was filled with, with sorrow. That's what was going on emotionally with them. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have sat there that day after being with Jesus for three years and seeing him raise the dead and heal the blind. All the things that Jesus did. To hear Jesus teach in person. And, and then we know that the disciples thought that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel in a very earthly way. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, you remember just before he sent into heaven, one of them says, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They just they didn't understand what Jesus was doing. And now Jesus begins to explain to them that he must go away and he must suffer and he must die. The Bible says that their hearts were filled with sorrow. Well, here's what the Bible says about our emotions. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart, and the heart throughout the scriptures almost always used in a metaphorical way to talk about our, our desires and our emotions and our will, the things that we want. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There are going to be times in our life when uh, where our emotions are high, and there are going to be times in our life when our emotions are, are low. There are going to be times in your life when you're discouraged, and there's going to be times in your life when you're, when you're overjoyed. And it's okay. God gave us emotion because uh, I think passion is one of the things that, that drives us to excellence and can even drive us to obedience. But we have to be careful that we don't try to use our emotions as a source of truth because they can't be they can't be trusted. You see, how you feel about something is not a good indicator of what something truly is. There are going to be days when you don't feel saved. There'll be days when you don't feel like going to church. 
There's days when I don't feel like dealing with one more conflict, and yet I realize this is what God has called me to. You cannot depend on your emotions. And so as the disciples were hearing what Jesus was doing and what he was instructing them to do, they were filled with sorrow. And so that's why Jesus says, but, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? Because, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So they, they didn't understand, and they were, they, were, they were overwhelmed with these emotions. And it's not bad to have emotions. All of us have them. God gave them to us, but we don't want to depend upon them. We want to look beyond our emotions to ask what is God telling us about who he is, who we are, and what he's calling us to do. And so we don't, under, we don't always understand what God is doing or why, but we take great comfort in this in believing that God is for us. So in verse 7, listen to what he says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, this is the fourth time in uh, this, this farewell talk that Jesus has referred to the, the helper. Uh, your Bible may say the, the counselor or the advocate. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, the one who would come inside of us and lead us, the one that would work all around us in order to enable us to do what God has called us to do. And the Lord meant for us to take great comfort in knowing that we're not alone. We're not alone. He is working around us. And so as Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, he said, you're not going to see me anymore. They didn't understand why, but he said, you're not going to see me anymore. He said, I'm going to the Father. He says, but I'm going to send a helper. And you and I still live in this era. We're waiting for the physical, bodily return of Christ. And while we wait, the Holy Spirit is with us, and he works in us and through us and all around us. And so as we begin to pursue God's mission in our life, we don't pursue it in our own power. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. I was meeting someone this week, and I knew I was going to be meeting this person, and I, I wanted to share the gospel with them. And so I sat down and I prayed. And I asked God to begin to work in that person's life, make them open and receptive when they hear. I prayed and asked God to give me an, a, a very natural opening that I could lead our conversation right into to the gospel. Now, I could have said, well, I, I've, I've led many people to Christ." I don't even remember how many people I've led to Christ in my lifetime. I've personally led many people to Christ. I could have said, I got this. I've been to seminary. I've taken evangelism courses. I've taught evangelism courses. I could have said, this is going to be, hey, no problem. I know exactly what I'm doing. And if I'd have done that, I'd probably been a huge failure because evangelism, like all ministry, is a spiritual endeavor. And if we're going to see real results, eternal results in people's lives, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. So I prayed. And I went and met with that person. And I, I've been talking to people about the gospel for a long time. I just, I just need just a, a, a tiny crack to, to redirect the whole conversation. 
but he didn't give me a tiny crack. We just barely got started in a conversation, and he opened up a door big enough to drive a semi through. And I led the conversation right into the gospel. We had a wonderful, wonderful conversation. You know why? The Holy Spirit gave me an opportunity. The Holy Spirit prepared that person and shows we are faithful in the world. We don't go on our own power. We don't rely on our own ability. We work together with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said he is sending the comforter. Well, we don't always understand what God is doing or why, but God is for us. The Bible tells us in verses 8 through 11, the Holy Spirit convicts the world. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. There's three things the Bible says, or three areas in which the Holy Spirit convicts the world. And the first one is sin. In verses 8 through 9, listen to what Jesus said. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin. To be convicted, it means the same thing in Scripture that it means today. It means to be proven guilty to be proven guilty. If you're arrested today for a crime, you're not a convict. You're a suspect. You have the opportunity to, to, to go before a jury of your peers and before a judge, and you have the opportunity to have an attorney represent you and represent your case. And it's only after you've been proven or at least declared guilty by a judge or jury that you become a convict. You become convicted. The word convict means to prove guilty. And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world. The Holy Spirit proves the world to be guilty. So if we think about this, who is the Holy Spirit convincing that the world is guilty? Well, it's not God, the Father. The Father knows that the world is guilty. So the world doesn't need to be convicted before the Father. He already knows they're guilty. It's not before other people. You and I worry so much about what others think about us. We read the Bible, we see God's not concerned what other people think about us, with the exception of trying to maintain our good character and reputation that will not hinder our witness. God's not concerned about what other people think about you. Everybody you know may think you're an absolute saint, but God knows the truth. He's not concerned about convicting you before other people. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us and convicts the world regarding sin, the Holy Spirit has not proven them guilty before God. He's not proven them guilty before other people. He's proven them guilty to themselves. themselves. The Holy Spirit works in the world to show people that they are guilty so that they might understand that they have a need that God desires to meet. And so in regard to sin, the Bible says in verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. You see, Jesus is the only way that you and I can be forgiven of our sin. To not believe in Jesus is to be unforgiven Here's what Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, verses 21 through 24. He was speaking to some of the religious leaders of his day, and here's what he said. So he said to them again, I'm going away, 
and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. And, and here's what I want you to see. He says, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. When Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, meaning the Messiah, the one sent from the Father, the one sent to pay the penalty for the world's sins. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convict the world because they do not believe in him. You see, when we think about the Father, the reason that he sends the Holy Spirit to convict us and to prove us guilty is so that he might lead us to forgiveness and salvation. You know, I've got three daughters, and uh, sometimes they understand why I do the things I do, and sometimes they don't. But for, but for 20 years now, I've been doing things in, to the best of my understanding, in their best interest, to try to help them learn, try to help them grow, try to help them develop. And I think about me as a sinful human being. That's how much love and sacrifice I've shown to help my children. How much more does God love us and do things for us, even when we don't understand, for our own benefit? And so it is with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The reason that he convicts the world is so that they might come to repentance and to salvation. The Bible says that the second area is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness. It says concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What does is, what is righteousness just look like? We're living in a time where we're so confused about what's good and what's, what's bad. Uh, I, I, some of you know I have a New York Times subscription. I read it all the time. It's extremely helpful. Every time I read the New York Times, it reminds me how much the world hates me. And every time I read the Bible, it reminds me how much the Lord loves me. And I read that paper, and I, and I see the perspective. And, and, I, and I, I just read some of the articles. And uh, yesterday, I read an article about uh, Southern Baptists in the New York Times. And, and, and in that paper, they, I will say that they pretty accurately described our understanding of some things. But after accurately describing it, they then portrayed it as the most perverted and sick thing in our society. This is how the world, this is where we are in the world today, where we're no agreement about what even is good and what is right. No, no agreement or understanding. So how do we know what's right? Well, the Bible says if you want to know what's right, just look at Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, just look at his son. Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us that we might see and we might behold what righteousness looks like. But Jesus said there was going to be time that he would no longer be walking among us. And so therefore, he says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, this is why the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning, concerning righteousness. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, 
The Bible talks about the righteousness of Jesus. It says the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. But, but here's his judgment. In righteousness, in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Jesus is righteous. He's a perfect image of righteousness. And yet Jesus said, I'm not going to be walking among you much longer. And so therefore the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world regarding righteousness. So when people pretend like they don't know, they know. It's possible, according to Romans chapter 1, that they have resisted and rejected God for so long that they now no longer know. The Bible talks about them. Uh, foolish hearts become darkened. But the Holy Spirit convicts the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Rarely do we meet anyone who lives without any fear a future judgment because we all know that one day we'll give an account before God. It's a role of the Holy Spirit to convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. But the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide the believer. It's to guide the believer. In verse 12, the Bible says, I, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Remember, Jesus began this section by saying, I didn't tell you the things earlier, but, but now he's going to tell them. And now he tells them, he says, I still have many more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. You know, the Lord understands where we are and what we need. He understands where we are and what we need. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Bible talks about different types, uh, different um, difficulty in regard to truth and revelation. And he uses this metaphor of meat and solid food to contrast the two. The Bible says here, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul is a little frustrated as a preacher and Bible teacher that he can't, can't give the people in Corinth the, the, the depths of the word because they're just not ready for it yet. They're still infants in their faith. He says, I fed you with milk, not, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a, a human way? And so the Bible talks about here about the, the milk and solid food. In other places it talks about the milk of the word and the meat of the word. And so Jesus said to the disciples, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. The Lord knows what we need. And he knows what we can handle. And the Lord works in our lives and he begins to reveal things to us when we need them. You see, the Spirit guides the believer and the Spirit guides the believer into truth. Here's what Jesus said about the Spirit. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, 
But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So when we read the New Testament, sometimes people struggle a little bit, and they say, well, how, how do we know that we can depend upon what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John tell us about Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was going to guide them, guide them. In fact, the Bible says about itself, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out. It's a metaphorical way of talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was telling the disciples he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was going to guide them in writing the New Testament. The Holy Spirit also guides us in reading the New Testament if we'll allow it. And the Bible says in Romans 8:14, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. But Jesus says in verse 15, he says, All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, Father, Son, and Spirit work together in perfect unity. You may have thought before, I mean, I, I thought this. Wouldn't it be amazing to have been back in the first century with the disciples, see Jesus walk on water? When recently we were in Israel and we were up on the mountain where Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Now, I read that, that whole passage there that Jesus preached there on the mountain where he was. I couldn't help but think about what it, what it would have been like to have been there and to hear Jesus deliver that message. As amazing as it would have been. We're not left here alone. We're not living in the time of the Old Testament prophets and we're not living in the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. But we are living in the time when God has sent us the Spirit to guide us, to empower us, to work around us, to convict the world and to guide us He's not left us alone. So in faith, may we trust God and pursue the ministry that he's calling us to in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks that you not only sent your son, but you have sent us the Spirit. May we believe and trust in him. Lord, we ask that you use us as your instruments, working in harmony with your spirit to accomplish your will in this place and in this world. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Jesus, as he shared this talk with his disciples, he was preparing them for his death. And I don't know if anyone has ever explained this to you or not, 
But the reason Jesus died was so that you could be forgiven. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he did something for you that you cannot do for yourself. He offered a payment for sin that he didn't owe. When Jesus went to the cross, he offered himself as a sacrifice. And most people today, most people are depending on their good works to get them to heaven. Friend, that's a burden that you don't have to carry. The Bible teaches that we are saved not because of our works, but we are saved by the grace of God through faith in him. This morning, if you want to be saved, you don't have to do more good works. All you need to do is believe and trust in Jesus. If you'll believe and trust in him and ask for forgiveness, he will offer it to you as a free gift. Those are not my words. That's straight out of the Bible. The Bible calls it a, a gift. But every person must decide whether they believe or not and whether they want to receive this gift. And so right now, as we close our service, we're going to sing a song. We sing this song to give you an opportunity to respond to God before you leave here. If there's never been a time in your life that you've talked to God and told him that you believe and you want to be forgiven, when everyone else begins to sing, would you just talk to God? You don't need any special formula. You don't need any special form. You just speak from your heart to God. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died for you and you want to be forgiven. Tell him that you want to live for him. For those of us that are believers, Christian life's tough. But instead of becoming discouraged, let us become dependent on the Holy Spirit. May we pray and ask God to empower us to do what he's called us to do. And when we see fruit in our life, may we give all the glory to him. As we sing, I want to invite you to make whatever decision that you need to make. If you need someone to pray with you, someone to help you make your decision, that's why I'll be standing at the front. Just step out of your seat and meet me there. I'll be glad to pray with you. Let's stand together as we sing.